section thirty five of curiosities of literature volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by annie hill curiosities of literature volume three by isaac disraeli dreams at the dawn of philosophy modern philosophy theoretical or experimental only amuses while the action of discovery is suspended or advances the interest ceases with the inquirer when the catastrophe is ascertained as in the romance whose denouement turns on a mysterious incident which once unfolded all future agitation ceases but in the true infancy of science philosophers were as imaginative a race as poets marvels and portents undemonstrable and undefinable with occult fancies perpetually beginning and never ending were delightful as the shifting cantos of ariosto then science entranced the eye by its thaumaturgy when they looked through an optic tube they believed they were looking into futurity or starting at some shadow darkening the glassy globe beheld the absent person while the mechanical inventions of art were toys and tricks with sometimes an automaton which frightened them with life the earlier votaries of modern philosophy only witnessed as garofel calls his collection unheard-of curiosities this state of the marvellous of which we are now for ever deprived prevailed among the philosophers and the virtuosi in europe and with ourselves long after the establishment of the royal society philosophy then depended mainly on authority a single one however was sufficient so that when this had been repeated by fifty others they had the authority of fifty honest men whoever the first man might have been they were then a blissful race of children rambling here and there in a golden age of innocence and ignorance where at every step each gifted discoverer whispered to the few some half-concealed secret of nature or played with some toy of art some invention with great difficulty performed what without it might have been done with great ease the cabinets of the lovers of mechanical arts formed enchanted apartments where the admirers feared to stir or look about them while the philosophers themselves half imagined they were the very thaumaturgy for which the world gave them too much credit at least for their quiet would we run after the shadows in this gleaming land of moonshine or sport with these children in the fresh morning of science ere aurora had scarcely peeped on the hills we must enter into their feelings view with their eyes and believe all they confide to us and out of these bundles of dreams sometimes pick out one or two for our own dreaming they are the fairy tales and the arabian nights entertainments of science but if the reader is stubbornly mathematical and logical he will only be holding up a great torch against the muslin curtain upon which the fantastic shadows playing upon it must vanish at the instant it is an amusement which can only take place by carefully keeping himself in the dark footnote one nine seven goodwin's amusing lives of the necromancers abound in marvellous stories of the supernatural feats of these old students 
End of footnote. What a subject, were I to enter on it, would be the narratives of magical writers. These precious volumes have been so constantly wasted by the profane that now a book of real magic requires some to find it, as well as a great magician to use it. Albertus Magnus, or Albert the Great, as he is erroneously styled, for this sage only derived this enviable epitaph from his surname de Groot, as did Hugo Grotius. This sage, in his admirable secrets, delivers his opinion that these books of magic should be most preciously preserved, for, he prophetically added, the time is arriving when they would be understood. It seems that they were not intelligible in the thirteenth century but if albertus had not miscalculated in the present day they may be magical terms with talismanic figures may yet conceal many a secret gunpowder came down to us in a sort of anagram and the kaleidoscope with all its interminable multiplications of forms lay at hand for two centuries in baptista porta's natural magic the abbot trithemius in a confidential letter happened to call himself a magician perhaps at the moment he thought himself one and sent three or four leaves stuffed with the names of devils and with their evocations at the death of his friend these leaves fell into the unworthy hands of the prior who was so frightened on the first glance at the diabolical nomenclature that he raised the country against the abbot and trithemius was nearly a lost man yet after all this evocation of devils has reached us in his steganographia and proves to be only one of this ingenious abbot's polygraphic attempts at secret writing for he had flattered himself that he had invented a mode of concealing his thoughts from all the world while he communicated them to a friend roger bacon promised to raise thunder and lightning and disperse clouds by dissolving them into rain the first magical process has been obtained by franklin and the other of far more use to our agriculturists may perchance be found lurking in some corner which has been overlooked in the opus magis of our dr mirabilis do we laugh at their magical works of art are we ourselves such indifferent artists cornelius agrippa before he wrote his vanity of the arts and sciences intended to reduce into a system and method the secret of communicating with spirits and demons footnote one nine eight agrippa was the most fortunate and honoured of occult philosophers he was lodged at courts and favoured by all his contemporaries scholars like erasmus spoke of him with admiration and royalty constantly sought his powers of divination but in advanced life he was accused of sorcery and died poor in fifteen thirty four end of footnote on good authority that of porphyrius silas plotinus jamblicus and on better were it necessary to allege it he was well assured that the upper regions of the air swarmed with what the greeks called demons just as our lower atmosphere is full of birds our waters of fish and our earth of insects yet this occult philosopher who knew perfectly eight languages and married two wives with whom he had never exchanged a harsh word in any of them was everywhere avoided as having by his side for his companion a personage no less than a demon 
this was a great black dog whom he suffered to stretch himself out among his magical manuscripts or lie on his bed often kissing and patting him and feeding him on choice morsels yet for this would paulus jovius and all the world have had him put into the ordeal of fire and faggot the truth was afterwards boldly asserted by wierus his learned domestic who believed that his master's dog was really nothing more than what he appeared i believe says he that he was a real natural dog he was indeed black but of a moderate size and i have often led him by a string and called him by the french name agrippa had given him monsieur and he had a female who was called mademoiselle i wonder how authors of such great characters should write so absurdly on his vanishing at his death nobody knows how but as it was probable that monsieur and mademoiselle must have generated some puppy demons wierus ought to have been more circumstantial albertus magnus for thirty years had never ceased working at a man of brass and had cast together the qualities of his materials under certain constellations which threw such a spirit into his man of brass that it was reported his growth was visible his feet legs thighs shoulder neck and head expanded and made the city of cologne uneasy at possessing one citizen too mighty for them all this man of brass when he reached his maturity was so loquacious that albert's master the great scholastic thomas aquinas one day tired of his babble and declaring it was a devil or devilish with his staff knocked the head off and what was extraordinary this brazen man like any human being thus effectually silenced word never spake more this incident is equally historical and authentic though whether heads of brass can speak and even prophesy was indeed a subject of profound inquiry even at a latter period footnote one nine nine one of the most popular of our old english prose romances the history of friar bacon narrates how he had intended to wall england about with brass by means of such a brazen head had not the stupidity of a servant prevented him the tale may be read in thomas's collection of early english prose romances End of footnote. nod who never questioned their vocal powers but was puzzled concerning the nature of this new species of animal has no doubt most judiciously stated the question whether these speaking brazen heads had a sensitive and reasoning nature or whether demons spoke in them but brass has not the faculty of providing its own nourishment as we see in plants and therefore they were not sensitive and as for the act of reasoning these brazen heads presume to know nothing but the future with the past and present they seem totally unacquainted so that their memory and their observation were very limited and as for the future that is always doubtful and obscure even to heads of brass this learned man then infers that these brazen heads could have no reasoning faculties for nothing altered their nature they said what they had to say which no one could contradict and having said their say you might have broken the head for anything more that you could have got out of it had they had any life in them would they not have moved as well as spoken life itself is but motion 
and they had no lungs, no spleen, and, in fact, though they spoke, they had no tongue. Was a devil in them? I think not. Yet why should men have taken all this trouble to make not a man, but a trumpet? Our profound philosopher was right not to agitate the question whether these brazen heads had ever spoken. Why should not a man of brass speak, since a doll can whisper, a statue play chess? Footnote 200. The allusion here is to the automaton chess player, first exhibited by Kempelen, its adventure, in England about 1785. The figure was habited as a Turk and placed behind a chest. This was opened by the exhibitor to display the machinery, which seemed to give the figure motion while playing intricate games of chess with any of the spectators but it has been fully demonstrated that this chest could conceal a full-grown man who could place his arm down that of the figure and direct its movements in the game the machinery being really constructed to hide him and disarm suspicion as the whole trick has been demonstrated by diagrams the marvellous nature of the machinery is exploded End of footnote and brass ducks have performed the whole process of digestion footnote 201 this brass duck was the work of a very ingenious mechanist m Vulkinson. it's reported to have uttered its natural voice moved its wings drank water and ate corn in seventeen thirty eight he delighted the parisians by a figure of a shepherd which played on a pipe and beat a tabor and a flute player who performed twelve tunes End of footnote. and another magical invention has been ridiculed with equal reason a magician was annoyed as philosophers still are by passengers in the street and he particularly so by having horses led to drink under his window he made a magical horse of wood according to one of the books of hermes which perfectly answered its purpose by frightening away the horses or rather the grooms the wooden horse no doubt gave some palpable kick the same magical story might have been told of dr franklin who finding that under his window the passengers had discovered a spot which they made too convenient for themselves he charged it with his newly discovered electrical fire after a few remarkable incidents had occurred which at a former period would have lodged the great discoverer of electricity in the inquisition the modern magician succeeded just as well as the ancient who had the advantage of coning over the books of hermes instead of ridiculing these works of magic let us rather become magicians ourselves the works of the ancient alchemists have afforded numberless discoveries to modern chemists nor is even their grand operation despaired of if they have of late not been so renowned this has arisen from a want of what ashmole calls a pertness a qualification early inculcated among these illuminated sages we find authentic accounts of people who have lived three centuries with tolerable complexions possessed of nothing but a crucible and a bellows but they were so unnecessarily mysterious that whenever such a person was discovered he was sure in an instant to disappear and was never afterwards heard of 
in the liber patris sapiente this selfish consciousness is all along impressed on the student for the accomplishment of the great mystery in the commentary on this precious work of the alchemist norton who counsels be thou in a place secret by thyself alone that no man see or hear what thou shalt say or done trust not thy friend too much wheresoe'er thou go for he thou trustest best some time may be thy foe ashmole observes that norton gives exceeding good advice to the student in this science where he bids him be secret in the carrying on of his studies and operations and not to let any one know of his undertakings but his good angel and himself and such a close and retired breast had norton's master who when men disputed of colours of the rose he would not speak but kept himself full close we regret that by each leaving all his knowledge to his good angel and himself it has happened that the good angels have kept it all to themselves it cannot however be denied that if they could not always extract gold out of lead they sometimes succeeded in washing away the pimples on ladies faces notwithstanding that sir kenelm digby poisoned his most beautiful lady because as sancho would have said he was one of those who would have his bread whiter than the finest wheaten van helmont who could not succeed in discovering the true elixir of life however hit on the spirit of hartshorn which for a good while he considered was the wonderful elixir itself restoring to life persons who seemed to have lost it and though this delightful enthusiast could not raise a ghost yet he thought he had for he raised something aerial from spa water which mistaking it for a ghost he gave it that very name a name which we still retain in gas from the german geist or ghost paraclesiast carried the tiny spirits about him in the hilt of his great sword having first discovered the qualities of laudanum this illustrious quack made use of it as a universal remedy and distributed it in the form of pills which he carried in the basket hilt of his sword the operations he performed were as rapid as they seemed magical doubtless we have lost some inconceivable secrets by some unexpected occurrences which the secret itself would seem ought to have prevented taking place when a philosopher had discovered the art of prolonging life to an indefinite period it is most provoking to find that he should have allowed himself to die at an early age we have a very authentic history from sir kenelm digby himself that when he went in disguise to visit descartes at his retirement at egmond lamenting the brevity of life which hindered philosophers getting on in their studies the french philosopher assured him that he had considered that matter to render a man immortal was what he could not promise but that he was very sure it was possible to lengthen out his life to the period of the patriarchs and when his death was announced to the world the abbe picot an ardent disciple for a long time would not believe it possible and at length insisted that if it had occurred it must have been owing to some mistake of the philosophers the late holcroft lutherburg and costway imagined that they should escape the vulgar era of scriptural life 
by reorganizing their old bones and moistening their dry marrow their new principles of vitality were supposed by them to be found in the powers of the mind this seemed more reasonable but proved to be as little efficacious as those other philosophies who imagine they have detected the hidden principle of life in the eels frisking in vinegar and allude to the bookbinder who creates the bookworm paraclesis has revealed to us one of the grandest secrets of nature when the world began to dispute on the very existence of the elementary folk it was then that he boldly offered to give birth to a fairy and has sent down to posterity the recipe he describes the impurity which is to be transmuted into such purity the gross elements of a delicate fairy which fixed in a vial placed in a fuming dung will in due time settle into a full-grown fairy bursting through its vitreous prison on the vivifying principle by which the ancient egyptians hatch their eggs in ovens i recollect that dr farmer's sale the leaf which preserved this recipe for making a fairy forcibly folded down by the learned commentator from which we must infer the credit he gave to the experiment there was a greatness of mind in Periclesis, who having furnished a recipe to make a fairy had the delicacy to refrain from its formation even baptista porta one of the most enlightened philosophers does not deny the possibility of engendering creatures which at their full growth shall not exceed the size of a mouse but he adds they are only pretty little dogs to play with were these akin to the fairies of periclesis footnote two o two this great charlatan after many successful impositions ended his life in poverty in the hospital of salzburg in fifteen forty one end of footnote they were well convinced of the existence of such elemental beings frequent accidents in mines showed the potency of the metallic spirits which so tormented the workmen in some of the german mines by blindness giddiness and sudden sickness that they have been obliged to abandon mines well known to be rich in silver a metallic spirit at one sweep annihilated twelve miners who were all found dead together the fact was unquestionable and the safety lamp was undiscovered never was a philosophical imagination more beautiful than that exquisite palingenesis as it had been termed from the greek or a regeneration or rather the apparitions of animals and plants schott kircher gaffarel borelli digby and the whole of that admirable school discovered in the ashes of plants their primitive forms which were again raised up by the force of heat nothing they say perishes in nature all is but a continuation or a revival the semina of resurrection are concealed in extinct bodies as in the blood of man the ashes of roses will again revive into roses though smaller and paler than if they had been planted unsubstantial and unodiferous they are not roses which grow on rose trees but their delicate apparitions and like apparitions they are seen but for a moment the process of the palingenesis this picture of immortality is described these philosophers having burnt a flower by calcination disengaged the salts from its ashes and deposited them in a glass vial 
a chemical mixture acted on it till in the fermentation they assumed a bluish and a spectral hue this dust thus excited by heat shoots upward into its primitive forms by sympathy the parts unite and while each is returning to its destined place we see distinctly the stalk the leaves and the flowers arise it is the pale spectre of a flower coming slowly forth from its ashes the heat passes away the magical scene declines till the whole matter again precipitates itself into the chaos at the bottom this vegetable phoenix lies thus concealed in its cold ashes till the presence of heat produces this resurrection in its absence it returns to its death thus the dead naturally revive and a corpse may give out its shadowy reanimation when not too deeply buried in the earth bodies corrupted in their graves have risen particularly the murdered for murderers are apt to bury their victims in a slight and hasty manner their salts exhaled in vapour by means of their fermentation have arranged themselves on the surface of the earth and formed those phantoms which at night have often terrified the passing spectator as authentic history witnesses they have opened the graves of the phantom and discovered the bleeding corpse beneath hence it is astonishing how many ghosts may be seen at night after a recent battle standing over their corpses on the same principle my old philosopher gaffarel conjectures on the reigning of frogs but these frogs we must conceive can only be the ghosts of frogs and gaffarel himself has modestly opened this fact by a peradventure a more satisfactory origin of ghosts modern philosophy has not afforded and who does not believe in the existence of ghosts for as dr moore forcibly says that there should be so universal a fame and fear of that which never was nor is nor can be ever in the world is to me the greatest miracle of all if there had not been at some time or other true miracles it had not been so easy to impose on the people by false the alchemist would never go about to sophisticate metals to pass them off for true gold and silver unless that such a thing was acknowledged as true gold and silver in the world the pharmacopoeia of those times combined more of morals with medicine than our own they discovered that the agate rendered a man eloquent and even witty a laurel leaf placed on the centre of the skull fortified the memory the brains of fowls and birds of swift wing wonderfully helped the imagination all such specifics have now disappeared and have greatly reduced the chances of an invalid recovering that which perhaps he never possessed lentils and rapeseed were a certain cure for the smallpox and very obviously their grains resembling the spots of this disease they discovered that those who lived on fair plants became fair those on fruitful ones were never barren on the principle that hercules acquired his mighty strength by feeding on the marrow of lions but their talismans provided they were genuine seem to have been wonderfully operative and had we the same confidence and melted down the guineas we give physicians engraving on them talismanic figures i would answer for the good effects of the experiment naudet indeed has utterly ridiculed the occult virtues of talismans 
in his defence of virgil accused of being a magician the poet it seems cast into a well a talisman of a horse leech graven on a plate of gold to drive away the great number of horse leeches which infested naples naude positively denies that talismans ever possessed any such occult virtues gaffarel regrets that so judicious a man as naude should have gone this length giving the lie to so many authentic authors and naude's paradox is indeed as strange as his denial he suspects the thing is not true because it is so generally told it leads one to suspect says he as animals are said to have been driven away from so many places by these talismans whether they were ever driven from any one place gaffarel suppressing by his good temper his indignant feelings at such reasoning turns the paradox on its maker as if because of the great number of battles that hannibal is reported to have fought with the romans we might not by the same reason doubt whether he fought any one with them the reader must be aware that the strength of the argument lies entirely with the firm believer in talismans gaffarel indeed who passed his days in collecting curiosities in Nuis, is a most authentic historian of unparalleled events even in his own times such as that heavy rain in poitou which showered down petit bestioles little creatures like bishops with their mitres and monks with their capuchins over their heads it is true afterwards they all turned into butterflies the museums the cabinets and the inventions of our early virtuosi were the baby houses of philosophers baptista porta bishop wilkins and ole ashmole were they now living had been enrolled among the quiet members of the society of arts instead of flying in the air collecting a wing of the phoenix as tradition goes or catching the disjointed syllables of an old doting astrologer but these early dilettanti had not derived the same pleasure from the useful inventions of the aforesaid society of arts as they received from what cornelius agrippa in a fit of spleen calls things vain and superfluous invented to no other end but for pomp and idle pleasure baptista porta was more skilful in the mysteries of art and nature than any man in his day having found the academy the gaily oziosi he held an inferior association in his own house called the secreti where none was admitted but those elect who had communicated some secret for in the early period of modern art and science the slightest novelty became a secret not to be confided to the uninitiated porta was unquestionably a fine genius as his works still show but it was his misfortune that he attributed his own penetrating sagacity to his skill in the art of divination he considered himself a prognosticator and what was more unfortunate some eminent persons really thought he was predictions and secrets are harmless provided they are not believed but his holiness finding portas were warned him that magical sciences were great hindrances to the study of the bible and paid him the compliment to forbid his prophesying portas genius was now limited to astonish and sometimes to terrify 
the more ingenious part of i secreti on entering his cabinet some phantom of an attendant was sure to be hovering in the air moving as he who entered moved or he observed in some mirror that his face was twisted on the wrong side of his shoulders and did not quite think that all was right when he clapped his hand on it or passing through a darkened apartment a magical landscape burst on him with human beings in motion the boughs of trees bending and the very clouds passing over the sun or sometimes banquets battles and hunting parties were in the same apartment all these spectacles my friends have witnessed exclaims the self-delighted baptista porta when his friends drank wine out of the same cup which he had used they were mortified with wonder for he drank wine and they only water or on a summer's day when all complained of the sirocco he would freeze his guests with cold air in the room or on a sudden let off a flying dragon to sail along with a cracker in its tail and a cat tied on his back shrill was the sound and awful was the concussion so that it required strong nerves in any age of apparitions and devils to meet this great philosopher when in his best humour albertus magnus entertained the earl of holland as that earl passed through cologne in a severe winter with a warm summer scene luxuriant in fruits and flowers the fact is related by trithemius and this magical scene connected with his vocal head and his books de secretis mulierum and de mirabilibus confirmed the accusations they raised against the great albert for being a magician his apologist theophilus reynaud is driven so hard to defend albertus that he at once asserts the winter change to summer and the speaking head to be two infamous flams he will not believe these authenticated facts although he credits a miracle which proves the sanctity of albertus after three centuries the body of albert the great remained as sweet as ever whether such enchantments as old mandeville cautiously observeth two centuries preceding the days of porta were by craft or by nigromancy i want ne'er but that they were not unknown to chaucer appears in his francoline's tale where minutely describing them he communicates the same pleasure he must himself have received from the ocular illusions of the tregatur or jugalur chaucer ascribed the miracle to a natural magique in which however it was unsettled whether the prince of darkness was a party concerned for i am sicker that there be sciences by which men maketh diverse appearances switch as this subtle tregatures play for oft at fests have i well heard say the tregatures within a hall large have made come in a water and a barge and in the hall roan up and down some hath seemed come a grim leon and sometimes floors spring as in a maid sometime a vine and grapes white and red sometime a castle all of lime and stone and when hem liketh voideth it anon thus seemeth it to every man's sight bishop wilkins museum was visited by evelyn who described the sort of curiosities which occupied and amused the children of science here too there was a hollow statue 
which gave a voice and uttered words by a long concealed pipe that went to its mouth whilst one speaks through it at a good distance a circumstance which perhaps they were not then aware revealed the whole mystery of the ancient oracles which they attributed to demons rather than to tubes pulleys and wheels they learned charles payton in his scientific travels records among other valuable productions of art a cherry stone on which were engraven about a dozen and a half portraits even the greatest of human geniuses leonardo da vinci to attract the royal patronage created a lion which ran before the french monarch dropping fleur-de-lis from its shaggy breast and another philosopher who had a spinet which played and stopped at command might have made a revolution in the arts and sciences had the half-stifled child that was concealed in it not been forced unluckily to crawl into daylight and thus it was proved that a philosopher might be an impostor the arts as well as the sciences at the first institution of the royal society were of the most amusing class the famous sir samuel morland had turned his house into an enchanted palace everything was full of devices which showed art and mechanism in perfection his coach carried a travelling kitchen for it had a fireplace and a grate with which he could make soup boil cutlets and roast an egg and he dressed his meat by clockwork another of these virtuosi who is described as a gentleman of superior order and whose house was a knick-knackatory valued himself on his multifarious inventions but most in sowing salads in the morning to be cut for dinner the house of winstanley who afterwards raised the first eddystone lighthouse must have been the wonder of the age if you kicked aside an old slipper purposely lying in your way up started a ghost before you or if you sat down in a certain chair a couple of gigantic arms would immediately clasp you there was an arbor in the garden by the side of a canal you had scarcely seated yourself when you were sent out afloat into the middle of the canal from whence you could not escape till this man of art and science wound you up to the arbor what was passing at the royal society was also occurring at the academie des sciences at paris a great and gouty member of that philosophical body on the departure of a stranger would point to his legs to show the impossibility of conducting him to the door yet the astonished visitor never failed finding the virtuoso waiting for him on the outside to make his final bow while the visitor was going down the stairs this inventive genius was descending with great velocity in a machine from the window so that he proved that if a man of science cannot force nature to walk downstairs he may drive her out at the window if they travelled at home they set off to note down prodigies dr plot in a magnificent project of journeying through england for the advantage of learning and trade and the discovery of antiquities and other curiosities for which he solicited the royal aid which leyland enjoyed among other notable designs discriminates a class thus next i shall inquire of animals and first of strange people strange accidents that attend corporations or families as that of the deans of rochester 
ever since the foundation by turns have died deans and bishops the bird with a white breast that haunts the family of oxenham near exeter just before the death of any of that family the bodies of trees that are seen to swim in a pool near brereton in cheshire a certain warning to the heir of that honourable family to prepare for the next world and such remarkables as number of children such as the lady temple who before she died saw seven hundred descended from her footnote two o three similar popular fallacies may be seen carefully noted in r burton's admirable curiosities rarities and wonders in england scotland and ireland sixteen eighty four it is one of those curious volumes of folklore sent out by nat crouch the bookseller under a fictitious name End of footnote. this fellow of the royal society who lived nearly to seventeen hundred was requested to give an edition of pliny we have lost the benefit of a most copious commentary bishop hall went to the spa the wood about that place was haunted not only by freebooters but by wolves and witches although these last are oft-times but one they were called lupus gero and the greeks it seems knew them by the name lycanropos men-wolves witches that have put on the shapes of those cruel beasts we saw a boy there whose half-face was devoured by one of them near the village yet so as that the ear was rather cut than bitten off rumour had spread that the boy had had half his face devoured when it was examined it turned out that his ear had only been scratched however there can be no doubt of the existence of witch-wolves for hall saw at limburg one of those miscreants executed who confessed on the wheel to have devoured two and forty children in that form they would probably have found it difficult to have summoned the mothers who had lost the children but observe our philosopher's reasoning it would ask a large volume to scan this problem of lycanthropy he had laboriously collected all the evidence and had added his arguments the result offers a curious instance of acute reasoning on a wrong principle footnote two o four hall's postulate is that god's work could not admit of any substantial change which is above the reach of all infernal powers but herein the devil plays the double sophister the sorcerer with sorcerers he both deludes the witch's conceit and the beholder's eyes in a word hall believes in what he cannot understand yet hall will not believe one of the catholic miracles of the virgin of louvain though lipsius had written a book to commemorate the goddess as hall sarcastically calls her hall was told with great indignation in the shop of the bookseller of lipsius that when james i had just looked over this work he flung it down vociferating damnation to him that made it and to him that believes it End of footnote. men of science and art then pass their days in a bustle of the marvellous i will furnish a specimen of philosophical correspondence in a letter to old john albury 
the writer betrays the versatility of his curiosity by very opposite discoveries my hands are so full of work that i have no time to transcribe for dr henry moore an account of the barn stable apparition lord keeper north would take it kindly from you give a sight of this letter from barnstable to dr witchcott he had lately heard of a scotchman who had been carried by fairies into france but the purpose of his present letter is to communicate other sort of apparitions than the ghost of barnstable he had gone to glastonbury to pick up a few berries from the holy thorn which flowered every christmas day Footnote two o five thousands flocked to see this miracle in the middle ages and their presence brought great wealth to the abbey it was believed to have grown miraculously from the staff used by st joseph it appears to have been brought from palestine and merely to have flowered in accordance with its natural season though differing with ours End of footnote. the original thorn had been cut down by a military saint in the civil wars but the trade of the place was not damaged for they had contrived not to have a single holy thorn but several by grafting and inoculation footnote two o six taylor the water poet in his wonders of the west sixteen forty nine says that a slip was preserved by a vintner dwelling at glastonbury when the soldiers cut down the tree that he set it in his garden and he with others did tell me that the same doth likewise bloom on the twenty-fifth day of december yearly End of footnote. he promised to send these berries but requests aubrey to inform that person of quality who had rather have a bush that it was impossible to get one for him i am told he adds that there is a person about glastonbury who hath a nursery of them which he sells for a crown apiece but they are supposed not to be of the right kind the main object of this letter is the writer's suspicion of gold in this country for which he offers three reasons tacitus says there was gold in england and that agrippa came to a spot where he had a prospect of ireland from which place he writes secondly that an honest man had in this spot found stones from which he had extracted good gold and that he himself had seen in the broken stones a clear appearance of gold and thirdly there is a story which goes by tradition in that part of the country that in the hill alluded to there was a door into a hole that when any wanted money they used to go and knock there that a woman used to appear and give to such as came footnote two o seven many of these tales of treasures in hills are now reduced to the simple facts of discoveries being made of coins and personal ornaments in tumuli of roman and saxon settlers in england in the british museum is a gold breastplate found in a grave at mould in flintshire the grave hills of bohemia have furnished the museum at vienna with a large number of gold objects of great size and value in russia the dead have been found placed between large plates of pure gold in the centre of such tumuli and in ireland very large and valuable gold personal ornaments have been frequently found in grave hills End of footnote.
at a time one by greediness or otherwise gave her offence she flung to the door and delivered this old saying still remembered in the country when all the daws be gone and dead then hill shall shine gold red my fancy is that this relates to an ancient family of this name of which there is now but one man left and he not likely to have any issue these are his three reasons and some minds have perhaps been opened with no better ones but let us not imagine that this great naturalist was credulous for he tells aubrey that he thought it was but a monkish tale forged in the abbey so famous in former time but as i have learned not to despise our forefathers i question whether this may not refer to some rich mine in the hill formerly in use but now lost i shall shortly request you to discourse with my lord about it to have advice and see in the meantime it will be best to keep all private for his majesty's service his lordship's and perhaps some private person's benefit but he has also positive evidence a mason not long ago coming to the renter of the abbey for a freestone and sawing it out came diverse pieces of gold of three pounds ten value apiece of ancient coins the stone belonged to some chimney work the gold was hidden in it perhaps when the dissolution was near this last incident of finding coins in a chimney piece which he had accounted for very rationally serves only to confirm his dream that they were coined out of the gold of the mine in the hill and he becomes more urgent for a private search into these mines which i have i think a way to in the postscript he adds an account of a well which by washing wrought a cure on a person deep in the king's evil i hope you don't forget your promise to communicate whatever thing you have relating to your idea this promised idea of aubrey may be found in his m s s under the title of the idea of universal education however whimsical one would like to see it aubrey's life might furnish a volume of these philosophical dreams he was a person who from his incessant bustle and insatiable curiosity was called the carrier of conceptions of the royal society many pleasant nights were privately enjoyed by aubrey and his correspondent about the mine in the hill ashmole's manuscripts at oxford contain a collection of many secrets of the rostocretians one of the completest inventions is a recipe how to walk invisible such were the fancies which rocked the children of science in their cradles and so feeble were the steps of our curious infancy but i start in my dreams dreading the reader may also have fallen asleep measure is most excellent says one of the oracles to which also we being in like manner persuaded o most friendly and pious asclepiades here finish the dreams at the dawn of philosophy End of section thirty five